children are dismissed to go downstairs as well. If you have not already ran down there. So we are picking um, up exactly where we left off. We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Today we're going to be reading through verses 24 through 43. It's a longer passage, but hopefully you can follow along with me as I read. Starting in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seeds is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day that you have made, God. We thank you for your grand plan that you have written out before creation was created, God. We ask that we can rest in you and your sovereign power and understanding, God. That we can rest in you even when we are worried or scared or fearful, God. We ask that you move in us this morning, that you open our minds and our hearts, that we can better understand who you are. We want to give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. So this passage is a lot. 
Uh, it's jam-packed with a lot of really good content, and, and we're going to try to look at all of it. So it might be a little bit longer than normal, um, but I think we can, we can handle it. So in this passage, we have three parables, right? We have an extensive explanation to one of those parables, and sandwiched in between, and in the middle, we have kind of a little qualification of who Jesus is. And I wanted to talk mainly about the parables today, but I do want to talk about this qualification really quick, found in verse 34 and 35, because I think it's worth noting. It's very similar to earlier in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. So Jesus is teaching parables, and, and people are having a hard time understanding it. They're not getting it. But, but even that was part of God's plan. In Isaiah 6, in Psalm 78, there's prophecy of the Messiah, of, of God coming, and the fact he's going to come to specifically teach through parables. And then there's specific pro- prophecy saying that when the Messiah comes and teaches in parables, people are going to have a hard time understanding what's going on. So these two verses are just pointing us to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be, fulfilling prophecies that were written hundreds of years before. You know the whole phrase, it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's, it's a duck. That's what's happening here with Jesus, but people ain't calling it a duck. All things happening through Jesus' ministry, they're pointing to Jesus being exactly who he said he was. He's the son of man. He's the foundation. He's the solid rock. He's the cornerstone. He's the redeemer of God's people. The very one who has secured that this broken world will one day be made new, perfect, and holy for all eternity. It is Jesus. So after that qualification, let's go back to our passage at large and look at our parables. Who is Jesus talking to? Anybody who would come to listen to him teach. And then later, there's a change in, in scenery, right? A change in the setting, and Jesus speaking directly to his, his followers, his closest followers and friends. So that might be the who of the passage, but what about the what? Growing up, I was blessed to have many years to have a great-grandma still alive, great-grandma Lucas. She was a kind and loving woman. She cared deeply for her family. She was also an extreme shopper, a garage sale beast, Uh, If there was a good deal, she could find it. This also led her to be called what we would probably call a hoarder. But she was super clean and tidy. Everything had its place. And and this has a point, I promise. One thing that we did when we grew up is once every month, we had to go over to Grandma Lucas's yard and pull weeds. Now, this was great growing up because we didn't get an allowance. So before my brother, my cousins, and I, we, we, before all of us got jobs, this was kind of like our best opportunity. Once a month, we could get some money. So we would spend all day in the hot Florida sun weeding and weeding. We got paid when we were all done. But on top of that, we got to drink as much soda as humanly possible. <laughs> I told you Grandma was a shopping beast. Um, and a hoarder. So when I said we could drink all the soda that we could physically drink, I I mean it. In her garage, it felt like there were millions of cases of soda. Soda, as far as the eye can see, various kinds, brands, name it, it was there in massive quantities. So the work was hard, but the benefits were great. We had some cash in hand and a sugar rush that would literally see us through till next month when we returned to absolutely chug an unmonitored and questionable amount of soda. 
So Grandma Lucas is dearly missed. (laughs) The parable of the weeds takes up most of our text today. We have the parable itself, verse 24 through 39, and later we have an explanation in verses 36 through 43. And the explanation is great because it has done all the heavy lifting for me because Jesus himself explained what he meant by the parable. But we can take away some good things from the parable and the explanation of the weeds. This parable it has a, a, an eschatological nature to it. Basically, that's a fancy way of saying it's about the end times. There's a time in the future where Christ will return. There'll be a time of judgment, right? And, and God's people will reap the rewards promised to them by being part of God's family. While those not part of God's family, they will suffer for their unbelief and they will experience an eternity apart from God. That's just quickly what the parable is talking about. One disclaimer that I did want to make, and when we start thinking about the end times, it can be very scary. But also, for some reason, it can be very intriguing. It has taken over the thinking of a lot of people throughout all of human history. Growing up, I remember the Left Behind series being massive. I would just try to to hold off on getting too hyper-focused on the when and the where of it all because we're not going to know. In Matthew 24, Jesus himself says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So instead, let's focus on what we do know and let's not get caught in the weeds. Pun very much intended. Throughout Matthew, we have a distinct writing style than other Gospels. It's very detail-oriented, right? And, and first, this, this fits with a theme, right? Last week, we talked about a, a similar theme of planting seeds and growth, right? So this is that same theme, but we also have an author who is so precise and clear with Jesus' explanation, right? When, ex- when asked to explain, Jesus simply said, yeah, I'll explain it, and here it is, bullet points. The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, or Jesus. The the field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels sent by the Son of Man. So what Jesus is trying to show with this parable of the weeds is that it's, it's about conflict, right? There, there's good and evil. There, there's conflict between God and Satan. But in this conflict, Satan loses the battle. And we can end there with our talk about the weeds. But before I move on, I wanted to point out a couple more takeaways that can be found here. But still know that the most important takeaway from the parable is the explanation that came right from Jesus. Nothing I say or a commentator says about this parable is more important than what Jesus says in his explanation. Simon Kistemacher wrote a fantastic book on the parables with a wonderfully creative and unique name called The Parables. In it, he says, obviously commentators do not have the wisdom Jesus displayed in interpreting the parables. They should be careful, therefore, not to read into a parable thoughts and concepts that the parable does not intend to teach. So with that said, 
he does point out a few more things that I think it's important to dive into because they don't add anything to Jesus' explanation, but I believe they give us more weight behind Jesus' explanation. So I just want to point out a couple things about this parable. Who are the weeds specifically? Jesus says the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Okay, but what does that mean? Does that mean it's the people of the world? The the fact that there's people in this world that are trying to lead God's people away? Does it mean those who are practicing other religions or philosophies coming in and trying to lead God's people away? I don't think that that is the case here in this parable. If that were the case, the parable might have said something along the lines that the the enemy sowed weeds along the perimeter of the field, and they would slowly creep in to this field of wheat, working from the outside and slowly coming in and corrupting the field. But that's not how the parable goes, right? So the weeds don't necessarily represent the outside world or another philosophy or religion coming in to hurt and suffocate the good seed. One commentator says this about the phrase, sons of the evil one, quote, Mere unbelievers are never called children of the devil or evil one, but only religious unbelievers are so called. And then they point to John 8, which, which shows Jesus talking to religious figures who claim to be children of God, but they're not getting it. So Jesus says in John 8, starting in verse 38, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So what do these weeds look like? They could very well look like us. The ones who claim Christianity. The ones who claim that they're living as God would like them to live. Many commentators make a comment to the weeds in the parable themselves. They point out that the weeds are probably a weed called Darnell. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But apparently this weed is almost indistinguishable from wheat. And the only way to truly see the difference is when they grow to maturity. And this is why you see the response in verses 28 and 29. The servants suggest, hey, let's go and pull up the weeds. But the master says, no, in doing so, you may cause harm. You may pull up weeds. You may ruin the good seed. Grandma Lucas was a sweet old lady, but there were a few times I heard her cuss so much that it would make anyone blush. Now, it was never the words that surprised me. I'm a product of the public school system. I heard all the words. But what shocked me was the speed, the, the cusses per second, the, the CPS, if you will. Grandma Lucas could top the charts by any conceivable metrics when it came to the CPS. One of these times was when I was weeding, and I accidentally pulled up some flowers along with the weeds. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I did not have the ability or the finesse to safely remove the weeds along with the flowers. We can say that Grandma Lucas was not a fan and everybody pulling weeds that day knew that much to be true. Now, much gentler, we see the master in our parable tell his servants, no, don't pull up the weeds. You don't even know what you're doing. You don't have the ability to do so without causing damage to the good seed. 
you don't even know what to pull. So with that said, I just want to point out a couple things to think about. One, we should do some self-inspection and reflection when we're looking at who these bad seeds are. Because it could very well be us. And two, we should also not be quick to weed out what we think are the bad seeds because it could cause unnecessary damage. I think the church has had a hard time with this. Maybe you have experienced it or have been part of it. Maybe you've seen the church say that this person or that person doesn't belong here or this person is not really even a Christian. Maybe in a way we have played the gatekeeper causing people not to feel welcome or cared for in our churches. These actions to me sound more like bad seed than good seed. They sound like the weeds are leading and not God. It's the weeds trying to come and do the work that only God can. Who is going to harvest at the end? Who is going to judge? Who's going to separate the weeds from the wheat? It's all going to be led by God and God alone. The only perfect and just judge. He is the only gatekeeper. It is not our job. Our job is to rest in the foundation that Jesus has made for us. To to plant ourselves in fertile soil and allow him to grow and shape our lives so that we can mirror his actions. And it's when we rest there, when we rest in the work that Jesus has already done, that's when we start to see a growing seed in a growing kingdom. So now we have two more parables in our passage, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. What are these showing us? We don't have a detailed explanation like we did with the weeds, right? But simply put, these parables are speaking about an ever-growing kingdom. First, the mustard seed. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This small seed is going to grow larger than any other plants in this garden, so big that birds would come rest and nest in it. And Jesus says what? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. How? It's speaking to the growing nature of the kingdom of God and how it started with such a small seed. The seed here being Jesus, right? The foundation, the cornerstone. Everything rests and starts on Jesus. Out of this little seed comes miraculous growth. How can we see that growth? Well, we can look at church history, right? God prepares the way all throughout the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus Christ. Christ then starts the church as we know it today. He starts as one man, gathers a small group, they teach, and then those who are taught go on to teach, and then they teach, they grow. And that growth just gets out of hand, and the kingdom expands. We get to Paul, on fire for the Lord. He helps develop churches everywhere he can conceivably travel to teaches those churches how to make churches, ends his ministry with the hope of getting to Spain, which at the time would basically be saying, I'm going to the end of the known world with the message of the gospel. We can see the church growing in the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire originally thought that Christianity was a threat and persecutes it. 
But then with Emperor Constantine, some 300 years after Jesus planted the seed, it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And we can see this growing kingdom when we come to church every single Sunday. We're in Randolph, New Jersey. It's a testament that this little seed has grown into a massive tree. There's a church across the street. Drive 20 minutes. All those churches is just an example that the kingdom has grown. Now, will the churches we see today be perfect? No. Will the leaders of the churches be perfect? No. But the beautiful truth of the growing kingdom is that that doesn't even matter. Because the foundation that Christ laid in this little seed will never stop. God's kingdom will always remain. He will never let it die. Some churches might close their doors, but God's universal kingdom will never fade. It is strong, it is sure, because of the work of one man, because of one little seed. And then who will be granted into this kingdom? Our parable says the birds of the air. Many commentators point out to a messianic parable found in Ezekiel that when Jesus talks about the birds of the air, he's referencing this passage, Ezekiel 17, 23. It says this, On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird, and the shade of its branches, birds of every sort, will nest. So the kingdom of God is going to grow. It's going to be so expansive that it's going to include birds of every kind. Or non-parable terms, the growing kingdom of God will include people from every walk of life, every geographical location, every tribe and tongue. Or even every Christian denomination, not just our own. The growing kingdom will be massive and it will include people from all around the world. Then we have the parable of the leaven, which goes hand in hand. Verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Someone who is more of a stickler for details than me did the math and they they weighed out this dough. And they estimate that it would probably be around 50 pounds of dough in total. Basically, that's a lot of dough. But what else is being said here? Are there any bakers in the room? Anybody bake? All right. Then you probably know what leaven is or or maybe yeast, right? You know what a, a rising agent is. It's the agent when combined with the right ingredients in the right environment is going to produce growth. When I make pizza dough, I know that it's ready to go because after a fermentation, it has doubled in size. The rising agent produced growth. So the kingdom of heaven is like this growth, but this parable is a little different than the seed, right? It's still speaking of growth, but in a different way. Kistemacher, again, in his book on the parables, says this, in the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus makes known the extent and outward spread of the kingdom. The parable of the yeast, Jesus focuses attention on the internal power of the kingdom that leaves nothing unaffected. Jesus' work, the the foundation he laid, the the love, the grace, the mercy he based his ministry on is the very fuel, is the rising agent of the growing kingdom. The rising agent seeps in unrecognizably and permeates the entire dough and causes it to grow. 
speaking to the unrecognizable growth of the kingdom. In Luke 17, um, in verse 20, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees what the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God would come, and he simply answered this, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Right? When you're baking and you're using yeast or leaven, you don't see the rising agent in your dough. But it's there and it's working. You see the growth. The work of Jesus strengthens and produces exponential growth to the kingdom of God. In every part of the kingdom of God, it is impacted by what Jesus himself has done. The power of the growing kingdom comes from Jesus himself. It started with one man, and now the kingdom of God is growing and will continue to exceed all expectations. So the, the growing kingdom will one day be harvested, right? Our parable of the weeds talked about that. The, the wheat will be separated from the weeds. The kingdom of God has grown out of the smallest seed and is fueled by a rising agent in Jesus. Once again, pun very much intended. And the kingdom of God will exceed all of our expectations. When all is said and done, when the great harvest is complete. In verse 41, it says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. First, the weeping and gnashing of teeth does not sound pleasant at all. It's, it's a common phrase to explain the pain and the misery that awaits the enemies of God. Really, there's no way you cut it that makes it good in any shape or form. It's all bad, and it's the hardship that accompanies eternal separation from God. But for God's people, for those in the growing kingdom, comes the exact opposite. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. One commentator says this, and he explains the joys exceeding our expectation on that coming day. He says, Believers shall shine forth to themselves at the great day. They shall shine forth before all the world. They shall shine by reflection, with light borrowed from the fountain of life. Their sanctification will be made perfect, and their justification published. May we be found of that happy number. There's coming a day where the weeping and gnashing of teeth isn't even an option for God's people. The peace and the love that we will experience because of the work of Christ and his growing kingdom is far more beautiful than we could even imagine. A couple of pieces of information I left out about my weeding story with Grandma Lucas. No matter how many of us came, my brothers, my cousins, myself, we all got $20 to share. No matter how long we were there, no matter how many helped. Now at the time, we thought ourselves as kings with $20. But $20 split, say, four ways is not much. And also the soda. I mentioned Grandma was a hoarder. Now I looked up if soda, if soda is canned, there's a best buy date. And the USDA recommends that you should not consume soda if it's nine months after that date. Grandma didn't play by those rules. <laughs> the sodas were old. They also were often warm, sitting in her garage for years. Most of the time, they were flat or they tasted more of metal than soda. 
The point is twofold. Maybe expiration dates are questionable at best because I'm still alive. <laughs> but more importantly, what I thought was the height of luxury, where I got paid and had an endless supply of soda, that was just a glimpse of the future to come. Now I don't have to settle for flat soda. I can get the good stuff. And currently it's LaCroix. I'm kind of a fiend for that stuff now. But it got far better than I could even comprehend. Or in other words, I don't have to settle for what this world has. Because it will get better when Christ returns and makes all things new. When the seed he planted is ready to be harvested and the bounty and rewards his people will have will be far greater than we can even comprehend. So hopefully we can rest in that truth. But I want to leave you with this, and you can view it as a sort of challenge as we wait. We are already in this time, the already and not yet, where, where God's kingdom is still growing, while his foundation, rooted in love for his creation and his people, is growing. I would challenge you all, what are you doing to help make God's invisible kingdom visible? Or, how can God help each and every one of you to help care for his creation and further his kingdom growth. Wendell Berry has a poem called The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. Just a brief couple phrases from that, if I can get through it. In it, he says words like this. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truths that are found in it, God. We ask that you mold and you shape us, God, with it. That you encourage us, that you move us to act, God that we can be good stewards for your growing kingdom here while we are on this earth, God. We ask that you use us, you use us as tools and vessels, God, that we can help, God, show this world how great your kingdom is, God. Be with us this week, move in us this week, and guide us this week. I'll give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for you, the only one worthy of it. Amen. Now, we're not doing communion.